Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 441 of Longbox Heroes. This is Joe, joined by Todd. Todd, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, feeling fit and ready for action. Mm, ready for action, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I've been uh, noticing lately that I've been coming in too hot to start the shows. Uh, my my levels are way, way too super high, so I'm trying to keep my distance from the microphone, because we got a lot to cover this week. Ah, I like to keep my distance from everything. Mm-hmm. Not from comic books, Todd, because that's what we're here to discuss. There's been a lot going on in the world of comic books. Mm-hmm. More news from DC about what's going on with their collections, as that's a story that we've been covering here uh, on the show for the past three months or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of explanation as to why. Uh, a double shot, bang, bang, of news regarding Doomsday Clock. <laughs> News about Doomsday Clock? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's different. And, Todd, did you know there's a comic that's being published that's kind of an event that they thought of a different ending for and added an extra issue? That would never happen. Fool me six times. Shame on me. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this character, I think I can let it pass. Uh, conventions, of course, going on this weekend, digital sales and freebies, what we read this past week, which is Conan number four, along with Doomsday Clock number nine, and <laughs> a lot of Doomsday Clock on this episode. We'll, we'll see if we can find some positives. What we're looking <laughs> forward to coming out this week, uh, and we have the return of TV talk as The Flash came out, and the big release of the weekend, the official start of the summer movie season, I guess, uh... <laughs> Captain Marvel, we're going to discuss that, but we're going to save all that for the end of the show, of course. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But that's so far away from right now. That is so far away from right now. Oh, and there's one other thing that I didn't have in the notes, but we'll kind of close up that there as well, because I have the link open for that. Oh, good. I was worried. Yes. So, uh, DC, as we've mentioned, uh, have been soliciting and canceling uh, collections and trades and essentials all over the place. So, apparently, they've yet again canceled already solicited republications of Mark Wade's JLA run on t uh, called Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. another edition of Batman Year One, <laughs> and a Essentials edition of both Batman and Son, which was the first Grant Morrison Batman, and the uh, Batman Black Glove Saga. So I guess what is coming out from this, as n news and notes are coming in from that Comics Pro thing from a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. that DiDio has said on the publishing end that they are going to be making a more concerted effort to not re-keep publishing stuff that already exists in other collections. Now, obviously, it's very clear with the Batman Year One sort of thing, but I guess there was, like, the Tower of Babel already exists in a currently in-stock publication of, like, JLA Volume 4, so they're not going to do another printing of something that's already in stock, if you will. 
which makes sense. I mean, I, there, I, there are very few things that I double and triple dip on. Like, honestly, like Sandman, I'll get the absolutes. I get other stuff. You know, Justice League International, any way you put it out, I'll grab it. Um, but, you know, like, something like, even just say Batman Year One, that's an iconic book. I know how much you love it. But, like, like you said, the Tower of Babel, as much as I like Mark Wade and that Justice League run, do we really need that like a like a second or third way if you could still buy it? Right. If you could if still you go could to still Barnes buy Noble? Is, yeah, if you could still buy it is the key. Right. Now, if you were doing like a Bells and Whistles version and there's a standard version, maybe. But it has to be a Batman Year One or a Sandman. It can't be Tower of Babel. Uh, right. It's got to be the top five. Exactly. Now, the upper echelon, at least. Right. And, and uh, again, so that it makes sense to not put out new editions of something that you already have. Mm-hmm. But the other thing about this is that it took DC so long to figure it out. That, hey, <laughs> maybe after six months of soliciting and re-soliciting and putting together all of these things to put out another edition of whatever... Only to have it canceled because shops are not ordering it, big box stores aren't ordering it, Amazon's not ordering it because they already have it. There's no reason to have two, three, four listings literally for the same exact thing. Right. And I think there's probably more to it behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like, like because some of those those things that will make money but i don't know it just seems like dc's in an upheaval right now all around right and it, that it may not be the time and as you mentioned about like doing republishes of the top tier books right mm-hmm. if you're going to do a belt and whistles version of it certainly uh but you know as we discussed 2 months ago here on the show where there was that outsiders trade the adam hughes collection uh the redo of hitman and the redo of Lucifer. Right. Now, Lucifer is touchy because that's a Vertigo book and that falls under slightly different publishing. Uh, Hitman is kind of a Vertigo book without being a Vertigo book. And then Not The Outsiders, vert- who knows? But the Adam Hughes thing is something new. And we kind of just targeted them of saying, like, hey, these are the first things being solicited here in January. Let's see if these things actually come out. And they haven't mm-hmm. been canceled yet. But. That Adam Hughes thing, while it may be cool to Adam Hughes fans, if you were going, DC, going through some sort of publishing upheaval, maybe let's not put that sort of stuff out. But what if there's no, DC hasn't doesn't have an Adam Hughes art book out, that fills a niche of something new, you know what I mean? Like, But is it worth the paper that it's going to be printed on that you're going to sell enough. Now, if there was some huge writing write-in campaign where 70,000 people said, I want this Adam Hughes art book, and they're like, okay, if 70,000 is a little rough, if <laughs> 10,000 people actually order this, will we make money? Okay, let's print it. I don't know. That's, I couldn't tell you, because that's something that's completely different. I don't... I am not an art book guy. Right. So I don't know. But if there if there was gonna be an art book that would sell, Adam Hughes is one of them. Yes. So that's a that's one of those in my uneducated guess, I, I have no way to gauge what's going on there. 
Like if that'll sell, if that's the one. Now, if you had said it was going to be, and I want to throw out uh, like a Mendoza line of artists, and I don't want to insult anybody, was like that guy was getting an artist book. I'd be like, eh, no. But like Adam Hughes, you, you do Adam Hughes, you do Neil Adams, you do, you know what I mean? Like certain guys, you know, they 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 probably will sell. And don't forget, those books aren't just going to be in a comic shop. Those are going to sit like in the art section sometimes of like bookstores and stuff. So you never know, you know, that they might sell. Right. And that's another thing, of course, like the top five artists, but maybe get some stability under your feet mm-hmm. before you start going, putting out um vanity art projects right and i just want to touch on one thing hitman is straight up dc not kind of a vertigo book but it has like the i no no, no listen it's a dc book mm-hmm. but it does right. feel you know it, it feels like a vertigo book you know it's got vertigo creators on it it's a little bit more risque even though there's dc car- like superheroes and stuff in it but if that was published by Vertigo, like no one would bat an eye. Uh, I would see it would be to me it would be a really tame Vertigo book. Uh, but I because I, I don't even think I, Hitman did Hitman ever have this uh, suggested for mature readers label on it? I don't I, recall. Which it spun out of Demon and Bloodlines, and I don't think Demon even ever had that. I mean, right. I look at those as straight up DC. I don't know, just not even. Not even like a hint of vertigo there, right. other than Baytor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, more uh, books that are not canceled, but delays, of course, uh, as we will be discussing a little bit later on in this episode, uh, issue nine of Doomsday Clock. Uh, just as that was fresh off the presses, uh, DC <laughs> announced that issue ten uh, was going to be pushed back to the first week uh, of April. Definitely. Right. Which, again, now pushes 11 and 12 back. And I could see the cycle beginning anew with each set of books. And I I am getting more confident in our bet. Well, Todd, I have, I have things to bolster your confidence. Okay, go ahead. Because DC has announced that they have solicited for the last week of November, which is the cutoff date for our bet... Mm-hmm. That the hardcover collecting the entire run is going to be out on November 26th. Well, there you go. If that comes out, then you know what? I, the only Doomsday Clock would find a way to not have all the published issues out by the end of November, but have the hardcover out somehow. Could DC be so brazen mm-hmm. as to have issue 12 and the hardcover on shelves at the same time? I don't think they would. I think they would have – I honestly think they would print them up so I'll, 12 would hit, and then the next week you would get the hardcover. Right. So if there are no further delays and it stays on the bi-monthly schedule, mm-hmm. issue 12 should be out the first week of August. Now, it has not been solicited yet. Right. And uh, issue 11 was solicited for the last week of May. That hasn't been affected on the scheduling yet because 10's not out yet. Right. I feel more confident in my side that this book ain't getting done before the year 2019. 
I, I, so we only have 10, because nine's out, 10, 11, 12. I think 10 is going to come out sooner than you think. It is getting pushed back. And when we talk about Doomsday Clock number nine, there's some things about it that I think push this book back. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've, we've, we've hint, discussed it and hinted at it. But I think, like I said, this book was on, and I've said this about a million times on the show, uh, this book was hitting the two-month mark, the bi-monthly mark, until everything went sideways at DC with stuff. I think once they get caught up and 10 comes out, uh, and it's not going to take a whole two months for 10 to come out from between nine because they were fixing art. I think we're going to get 10, maybe the middle of, maybe the middle of April, maybe late April. And then 11 and 12 will come out two months and then two months after that. Mm-hmm. But that's my take on it. So, so I, I point to this as a gauge um, for high profile late books. And that would be Sandman Overture, which was a six-issue miniseries that took two years to come out. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this, that once the uh, last issue was out, the hardcover was out less than two months later. Right. So there's a chance that it could hit these dates. They've given <laughs> themselves a bit of a cushion. But you could only push that cushion before so far before that cushion becomes a flat pancake. <gasps> I hop pancakes? <laughs> oh, I wish. Um you're you're so you're giving the already delayed number 10 at least another 2 week delay. Right, but it's but it won't be 2 months between 9 and 10. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? It'll be whatever what that Let came out last week. Let me look at a calendar. Right. So what's the date that they have it set at right now? April 3rd. April, I'm looking at a calendar right now. I'm saying it'll be the 10th or the 17th. That's when it comes out. I will respectfully disagree. All right. Um, having read 9, and we'll get to it, I, I could see why uh, the complexities of this book took so long to come out. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Kinda, Kinda, sort. But who knows, Joe? Maybe it'll get a 13th issue. Mm-hmm. Just like <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> Hunted thing, which we actually talked about last week. Because right. there was some confusion in regards to the way the series is set up. And I defended it because the whole thing in and of itself is being written by Nick Spencer, who is the current ongoing writer. Uh, there's no side miniseries. There's no whatever's Now, granted, between... March and May, there was something like 13 issues of the comic coming out or 12 issues of the comic coming <laughs> out. Uh, but they did go ahead and, and again, at first, add a set, add an extra issue. And I'm like, it's taking place in the main book. So it's not like they're adding an extra issue unless it's one of those dot HU books. But all they're just doing is extending it in the current ongoing story arc that you're already buying. If it was the side miniseries, I'm like, nah, okay, you know, maybe they shouldn't have added it. But then, when the solicitation text changed, uh, changing the ending descriptions a bit, I'm like, what's going on, guys? <laughs> now, granted, I'll get, like, and again, I'm going to make excuses because it's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. The storyline just started. 
the first issue of it just came out this past <laughs> week, but it wasn't even one of the main issues. It was one of the HU issues about Black Cat, how she got trapped by Craven and his cronies. Um, but I don't know. Let, you get one Spider-Man. <laughs> See the way I look at it. Don't is... do this again. Don't make don't make me have to eat my own John Cena hat over this. Oh, Joe's like, Joe's like, yeah, Marvel, bury him, Marvel, bury him, Marvel, bury him. Spider-Man? I don't want to bury Spider-Man. I don't want to bury Spider-Man. <laughs> Pretty much, yep. Oh, my goodness. But we'll see. I don't know. I like Spider-Man, so he's okay. As long That's as you don't bring back the super fast aging ninja children in that last extra issue, I'm, oh. I'm going to be all right. I think they should call this Craven's last extra issue with a better ending hunt. <laughs> oh, boy. So, the last bit of news that we forgot to mention up front because it wasn't in the main part of the notes. Yet another follow-up to a story that we had discussed here that got Todd so heated when it happened that he was sending me texts as I was leaving the comic book shop. And that was DC Vertigo's cancellation. Uh, over Mark Russell, not the political uh, satirical <laughs> singer. Great moment in comic book shop history. But uh, go ahead. His second coming book, which was essentially, uh, what if a Jesus analog teamed up with a Superman analog and hijinks ensued? Mm-hmm. Uh, started to get some pressure from religious groups and so on and so forth. And then DC just decided, hey, we're going to wash our hands of this. We don't need this sort of heat right now. Mark Russell, you could take this and do whatever you want with it. Uh, if you want to turn <laughs> it into a, a rag about Lisa Simpson, uh, <laughs> a little muckraker, eight-year-old, whatever. But no, no. Um, so we had postulated, of course, being that they'd given the rights back to him, that this was going to pop up somewhere. Uh, where was the question, and now we have that information, was actually in the New York Times, of all places, uh, that it is going to burgeoning independent comic company, uh, Ahoy Comics, which, between me and you, uh, Todd, before today, I never heard of. Ahoy, hoy. Um, I never heard of them either. Uh, I did see from the article that the publisher, Tom Pyre, is actually someone who's worked with Mark Wade in the past uh, on Legion of Superheroes stuff. Um, other DC stuff, I think he was, uh, he was also an assistant editor way back in the Vertigo days during Sandman. Right. So he has some good pedigree behind him, and, uh, I think they said this is gonna get solicited to come out this September. Right. And if I'm all for this, I hope this book, because of the, you know, the, the media that it got and the, and the press, that it puts Ahoy, uh, comics on the map. And if I was uh, this comic company, I would go all in on the press junket. Yep. The book. What? Yep. I'm agreeing. The book that was too hot for DC. The book that after, you know, uh, Batman damned and, you know, uh, the the Batawang, you know, all that stuff. Just just run with it. And, you know, you know. just take it for all it's worth because when you got this press, it's all free press, baby. Just go with it. And I, and I, I wish them well because this is one of those books that when it got canceled, I'll, you know, like you said, I was texting you when it, when they announced that it was going to be, and I almost was like, you know what? I was going to keep texting you as the news was coming in because literally Mark Russell was like, Oh, we got, you know, we got it back, but we're going to, we're allowed to take it somewhere else. So I'm like, all right, I, this will all like, you know, c- come out in the law. Joe will find this without my help. <laughs> 
But uh, like you said, I was I was looking forward to this book, and I'm glad it's found someplace. And I'm going to push the heck out of this book. Yes, you know, unless it's you know not so great. But if it's really, <laughs> I, I, I am gonna like. I'm going to help this book as much as I can because I just love the idea of how all this worked out and I hope it turns into a big, like, you know, multimedia project firm. And this is something that, you know, that everybody involved in this book can retire on someday. Right. And, and as you mentioned, if this is the book, uh, like that a burgeoning company needs to catapult themselves to superstardom, they could do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pyre worked at DC Vertigo back in the day. He's worked with, like, a lot of big-name creators. Um, you know, I see Pyre does stuff for them currently, you know, both on the writing side and the editorial side. They're only putting about out about two to four books a month. But if they could use this to bolster the entire line, I say this is the book to do it on, man. Right. Hopefully it'll become that evergreen project that, like, you know, that just – Funds Ahoy Comics. Yep. So I'm with you, you know, obviously between now and then. When this shows up in the previews, you're going to hear about it here. When mm -hmm. the solicitations are available for this, you're going to hear about it here. Um, you know, if the first issue comes out and it stinks, then you'll never hear about it again. So. <laughs> but Mark Russell doing pretty good, I would say. Yes. He's got a good track record so far. Mm-hmm. Depending on what my expectations are from him on the book, but we'll see. True, and you, how, whether or not he puts political jingles in it. That's right. <laughs> so, just to explain that, uh, there is another Mark Russell who currently is about an eighty-year-old man, and if you've ever seen like on PBS where they'll have, like, the guy, he'll be wearing, like, the American flag vest, and he'll be wearing, like, what do you, it's not a straw hat, but it's kind of like. It's one of those, like, vote, like, it is almost like a straw hat, but, like, the, like, a flat top Yeah, hat. more flat, but it's not a high flat thing, and he'll play on the piano comedic uh, political songs, and I, I did comedic in uh, quotes there. On another podcast that I listen to that reviews The Simpsons, when the episode of The Simpsons, where Lisa wrote the essay uh, about how good Springfield is, and she goes to the essay contest, and then she stumbles upon the corruption in, in Springfield, he, they have in the episode of The Simpsons, a guy parodying that guy, who's an actual guy who does those things, whose name just happens to be Mark Russell. Right, and he um, also has a piano that's like... Like, uh, American flag painted, just right. so you know if that, that helps any. So that podcast then, on there says, oh, that's the same Mark Russell that they're parodying there that writes the Flintstones and the Snaggle, uh, uh, Tooth Comic, or Snagglepuss Comics over at DC. And I'm like, oh, it checks out. Same name. I'm done here. <laughs> right. And then, you know, Mark Russell got into more and more high profile stuff. He's doing the Wonder Twins book and whatever else. And then right before this came out, we were talking at the shop about it, and I brought that up to Todd, and Todd looked at me uh, to paraphrase... Like you had two, two heads. <laughs> well, I was going to say to paraphrase uh, Jim Clarinet, like I had a steaming poop hanging out of my mouth. <laughs> right. Uh, so we went and we pulled it up on our internet phones, and DuckDuckGo told me that in uh, Celebrity, two people are allowed to have the same first and last name. And they could be completely different people. 
<laughs> you thought there was a law. So I hope that podcast gets theirs this Sunday for making me look foolish to one person and now sharing it with you and one person will direct message me about this remark. Mm-hmm. So conventions this weekend. There's a bunch of conventions going on uh, this weekend all over the place. As I'm going through the list, there is the River Region Comic Con in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Fabian Nicenza and Larry Hama are going to be there. The Sac Con in Sacramento, California. Liam Sharp, Art Adams, Ron Lim, and uh, Dan Brereton are going to be there. The Hill County Comic Con in New Braunfields, Texas. Uh, Sean McKeever, Tony Daniels are going to be there. And Helen Slater is going to be there, Supergirl herself. And she's on the Supergirl TV show, I think, is like the, the, well, some of the Kents or something. I'm not sure. Listen, she's, she's Legend of Billie Jean to me, and that's all she is, okay? Right. She was in The Secret of My Success, too, wasn't she? With, uh, uh with, uh, Michael J. Fox? That I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Toronto Comic-Con, uh, they call it a Comic-Con, you know, Denny O'Neill, Mike Zeck, Phil Noto are gonna be there, media guest side, Ron Perlman's gonna be there, uh, Corbin Burnson is gonna be there. Ooh, L.A. Law. Mm-hmm. And Jaleel White is gonna be there. Oh my goodness, I hope, get your Urkelos signed. Yes. I wonder if CGC will signature series Urkelos. Oh boy, they'll CGC anything these days. Well, they just announced that they're gonna start CGCing signature series prints that mm. people do so that blew my mind but anyway when did signature series prints become a business todd that text was sent today that's all i'm gonna say yes of course <laughs> between me and another person mm-hmm. i saw him trying to get rid of his less fancy items online so good no luck this was a different person oh okay this is the guy i'm gonna go case his house yes that's okay. the one uh, the Permian Basin Comic-Con in Midland, Texas. Again, Comic-Con, more media folks. Eric Estrada is going to be there. Ooh. Uh, soon to be, uh, two-time, 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 two-time World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Famer Booker T is going to be there. And what about the MGs? No. Okay. Uh, and Jonathan Lipnicki is going to be there. Todd. I know that name. Yes. Why is it bouncing around the back of my head? He's the little boy from Jerry Maguire who says things. Oh, my God. The adorable little kid who hasn't aged a day since I last saw him in Jerry Maguire? I'm sure he looks exactly the same as he did back in 1997 and certainly doesn't look like a grown-up monster. <laughs> I hope that he literally like keeps his hair the same way and just wears grown-up versions of the exact same clothes he wore in Jerry Maguire and like says things in the cute voice and stuff. <laughs> that would not be creepy at all. Now, there are two big, huge conventions going on this weekend, but I would be remiss if I didn't miss these two one-hitters. Uh, there is the mm-hmm. Northeast Comic-Con in Boxborough, Massachusetts. A rare in-public sighting of Gilbert Gottfried is happening there. Uh, oh, you, my goodness. If you were in the greater New England area, do yourself a favor, and if you want to pay $20 to have the most uncomfortable interaction with a human being in your entire life, go over to Gilbert's table and have a good time. Uh, have you ever interacted with Gilbert? No, I'd be afraid to. I don't want to ruin the illusion of the magic that's in my head of who Gilbert really is. <laughs> he'd be like, he'd be like too up to upscale. Can you imagine like he's talking like a Harvard educated? Like... No, no. See, that's the thing. I know Gil- like Gilbert's persona mm-hmm. uh, that he has as a comedian 
versus who he is in the podcast, which you get to see a little glimpse of who the real Gilbert is Mm -hmm. when he gets like to interview the people that he like grew up watching and loving and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And you get to kind of see him mark out as a fanboy. But then there's the Gilbert documentary, which I don't want to say you get to see the seedy side of Gilbert. It's not like he's got like a pit in his basement, like my friend Adam, not that Adam that I do the podcast with or the other Adam, but another Adam. I know a lot of Adams Mm -hmm. that he has a pit in his basement, but the side of Gilbert that he does everything in his power not to let you know exists. Okay. It's the side of Gilbert that he's a normal person with weird quirks. Ah, so he's us, Joe. Um, plus no. like seven or eight, maybe. Okay. I highly recommend the Gilbert documentary. I think it's on Amazon Prime or something. I don't know who has the streaming rights to it. Um, but uh, this would be an uncomfortable uh, situation only for her. And then me, when I thought back about it many, many days later, at the not just another Comic-Con in Little Rock, Arkansas, Linnea Quigley is going to be there. Oh, the Scream Queen mm. from Sorority Girls and Slime Ballorama. Yes, yes. And Linnea Quigley's uh, horror movie workout. Uh, her delightful turn is trash in possibly one of my f- top five favorite movies of all time, Return of the Living Dead. Not five favorite horror movies, five favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I think it nudges out Godfather 2. That's number I, six on the list. Never seen Godfather because it insists upon itself. But wow. it, is there, is there, a, am I remembering correctly a famous scene with Linnea Quigley and a tube of lipstick that is in night of the demons okay just making sure that i'm on the same page yes it's very famous Mm -hmm. uh but the two big conventions going on this weekend uh is the north carolina comic-con in raleigh north carolina uh media types there are greg sipes who you would know better as the voice of beast boy on the teen titans go cartoon uh Mm -hmm. and jim winorski uh, you, who you would know from dozens and dozens of low rent directive VHS classics, but most notably, he was the director of the second Swamp Thing movie with uh, Heather Locklear in it. <laughs> oh, and he admits it? Yes, he does proudly. That's okay. like on the site. That's his first credit. <laughs> <laughs> because the other ones are slightly his first more shameful. Is I... What? The other ones are slightly more shameful. Oh, to so others, his first not to me. Is I bet Heather Locklear. Say that again. His first credit is I met Heather Locklear. No, how dare you! His first credit <laughs> is director of Return of the Swamp Thing. A- or AKA I met Heather Locklear. <laughs> Stop it. But anyway, uh, he. Oh, so listen, li- hang on. I I have to do this now to pull up his uh oh, the his list Ibdiba? of films. No, right on the website. So when you go to the website and it has his picture there, uh, the picture that he doesn't have a picture of him. Like they don't on this site for this, whatever they do it. Like they're like little collector's cards. His thing, his collector's card is just the movie poster for Return of the Swamp Thing. Oh boy! Uh, but he also directed Chopping Mall. If you've never seen Chopping Mall, do yourself a favor. Chopping Mall is fantastic. I um, look right into it. Get on top of that. Uh, but comic side, David Finch, Marv Wolfman, uh, 
uh, Robert Venditti, uh, Jeremy Whitley, Kyle Baker. A lot of guests uh, are going to be at that one. But the biggie this weekend, the official kickoff, just like Captain Marvel this past weekend was the official kickoff of the summer movie season. It's now in the first week of March, the official kickoff of convention season, Emerald City Comic Con, Todd. Right. Uh, Aaron Lepresti, Alex Maleev, Chip Zdarsky, Donnie Cates, Gail Simone, Joe Kelly, Kevin McGuire, uh, (laughs) Kieran Gillen, it was unrelated, Uh, Mike Diodato, Wes Craig, Kyle Starks, uh, friend of the show, fan of the, I don't know if he's a fan of the show, better off if he's not a fan of the show, Uh, and The Rob is going to be there. The Rob! Oh boy. Fully salty Keith was going to be there. Mm. But on the media guest side, co-host of the award-winning uh edge and christian show on the award-winning world wrestling entertainment network christian is going to be there uh i hope he goes in the hall of fame for his work on that show and nothing else uh george takei is going to be there oh my, oh my. <laughs> and this uh pete capoliti guy i don't know oh, who he is pete capoliti i gotcha yeah. <laughs> So it's a big stacked week of conventions, like I said. And these are just the ones where their sites weren't direct to Facebook pages or not, not teeming with malware. <laughs> Our con page now teeming with malware. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but the links to all of these, of course, will be in the show notes uh, with this episode over at soonbenamednetwork.com, soonbenamednetwork.tumblr.com where you can find this and all the other shows in our fancy little network conglomeration, like-minded individuals, a bunch of people who do a bunch of podcasts, and they decided to get together and try to do something with it. I don't know how it's working out for them, but it's working out pretty okay for us. No good. I hope it works out okay for them. As um, long as you can get on the Google apps, that's all that matters. Right, as long as they can get on the Google apps, right. So, uh, anytime any of those shows come out, whether it be... This show, longboxheroes.com, or Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Podvocacy, uh, Wrestling on the Edge of Forever, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, and I think that's it from the regularly scheduled shows, right? I think so. Okay. Uh, and of course, if anyone shows up on any other shows and they remind me, I'll put it up on the site, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, at odds gets a separate plug later in the show. I was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. It's special. Uh, it is special. Digital sales and freebies, of course. Uh, no change in the freebies. I don't know if I went over them last week. I think I did. Uh, a bunch of <laughs> random X-Men books and a Spider-Man Deadpool book. Uh, that was fun because it was done by Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis. Uh, the sales that are still lingering around are the Archie line-wide sale, which is going on until the end of the month. Captain Marvel sale, which is going on because of the Captain Marvel movie in theaters currently. Dynamite is doing a sale on all of their video game related properties. Uh, DC is doing a sale on Bat Villain sale. Fill in the blanks here regarding Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns. Also, Marvel has sales on Kamala Khan stuff because I think there's a new kamala khan number one being launched this week and they're just having a generic scrolls sale i wonder why Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit later on so uh the point of the show that todd was dreading as we're going to get into the books that we read (laughs) from this past week todd i'm going to throw you a curveball and ask you to talk first about conan number four 
right. Conan number four as is a long, like overarching twelve part story with uh, each story being like uh, pretty much individual. This is a story of Conan as King Conan late in his career, who's sitting on the throne and he's finding like heavy is the head that wears the crown kind of a thing because now it's not all adventuring and barbarian fun it's all taxes and dealing with problems and he's slowly uh getting sick and he believes that it is uh his no longer having adventuring and the boredom is beginning to to take him out so he decides to you know, go out as he's hearing these, these, uh, people keep coming and giving him the news. And there's all this boring news, but occasionally there'd be draped in there. There's, there's thieves among whatever in this city, or there's bad guys here. And he's like, okay. So he ends up getting a disguise and going out and taking care of these problems and how it affects him. You know, basically this story is Conan becomes Batman for a while. And he's going to take care of the crime secretly in the city. And there's a, a lion involved. He gets a sidekick. He gets Ace, the, you know, the barbarian lion to go with him. And it is a, it is a cool read to see Conan, uh, doing this and how it all affects everything. Like I said, people are seeing him wake up in the morning and they think the disease is actually hurting him now because he's, 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 he's having wounds show up on his body and they think it's, he's been in his bedroom all night, but he's, he's not and other stuff. I was just actually fascinated as Conan as a crime fighter. Um, and I just love the overall, uh, issue from beginning to end. What did you think of it, Joe? I really liked it. Again, as you mentioned, the pitch for this issue was, what if Conan was Batman? I don't know why that's not a movie that's going on right now, or a long-running TV show, or whatever it is. One issue of this was not enough. Um, you know, and just kind of other things that Todd had mentioned, when Conan takes over that kingdom, it's like, oh, who thought overthrowing this feudal government would involve so much paperwork and taxation? Mm-hmm. So Conan's not cut out for that sort of things. He's more of a hit it on the head with his sword or cut its head off uh, as well. But then there's the bonding that he has with the, t- the lion that he starts to see himself in the lion, uh, of course. So this one, uh, as Todd also mentioned, that this is like kind of a 12-part arcing story with different points of Conan's career uh, dealing with the Crimson Witch stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This, I think, was the first issue not to overtly deal with the Crimson Witch stuff. Because in right. all, like, obviously, issue one, it's like Crimson Witch. Issues two and three, we get, like, a little bit in the beginning or a little bit at the end of either the Crimson Witch, those two creepy kids, or both. Mm-hmm. We get none of that here. Right. I think it's just a mention in Pat, and not, not even them, that this is all stuff because he's becoming. The, his blood is becoming what the Crimson Witch wants because as he survives more stuff and has more adventures, the magic in his blood is becoming more powerful. And they hint at that, that this is, that there's part of that. But I actually, like you said, don't, don't ever remember now that you said them mentioning the Crimson Witch by name, just that this is part of a certain adventure. Right. Um, which is good because you've established, if this is going to be a 12 issue thing, You've established it in the first three issues that the Crimson Witch is the thing. Now you get like maybe like three or four issues where maybe stuff happens, like Conan's Batman, and you forget about it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when the Crimson Witch pops up, it's a nice like gotcha moment. But she's been there the whole time. 
And I really like the design on like Con- the Conan disguise. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. With the, with the, you know, the handkerchief as the mask or whatever you want to call it. Just with him running around with a lion. I'm like, I'll take, you know, like there, I could see Jason Aaron coming back to this story and telling, like, you know, how we see it, it, it takes over time and what he does with the lion and everything. But in there, you could write a Conan Batman story at any time. This was like one of the nights we didn't see. You know what I mean? And I would be all down for it. Like Absolutely. The, like the untold tales of Batman Conan. Make hmm. that the fourth Conan book. <sighs> See, that's tough because there's already three Conan books out, and I'm doing my best just to try to stick to one, you know? And I think we're getting a Belit tie-in, which was his girlfriend. Oh, Mark. my goodness. Right, they're just there's going to be more Conan books than there are Star Wars books, I think. Hmm, I think you're wrong, but yeah. I definitely think there's more Conan books at launch than there was Star Wars books at launch. Yes, because there was only the two. There was the there was the Darth Vader book, and there was the Star Wars book, and then they crossed over, and there was like Vader down one shot, and then the mini series started to trickle out, um, and that was it for a while. And the Darth Vader turned into the Afro book kind of a deal, but with Conan, like in three months, we had three books, and there's already like I think it's a Belit mini series. So yeah, like in four months, we have four Conan books. Maybe it's a little bit too much too quick, you know? I agree, Maybe. but I guess they want to get the biggest bang for their buck is bringing this book home. I don't know. I, I guess, you know, maybe, I don't know, parse it out. But again, this is good. I'm not reading the other ones. Maybe the other ones are good, but I like Conan, but I don't like him enough to get four books a month for him. Right, and it depends on who's writing him, too. Right, that's another big uh, caveat with this as well. But this book's really good. Check it out. You know, I don't know how long, you know, Jason Aaron has 12 issues planned out. I don't know how much longer he's going to be on this, uh, you know, especially with the rumor and innuendo that he may be wrapping up his Thor run after the War of the Realms stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe it'll be more time for him to do more Conan stuff, but who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll hopefully be here to pass that information along to you. So I'll take point of the other book, Todd. <laughs> oh, good. I wanted it, but I'll hand it over to you. Okay. Uh, Doomsday Clock number nine, uh, written by Jeff Johns, expertly drawn by Gary <laughs> Frank. Uh, this is the fallout from issue eight, where we get the big thing with Firestorm and Superman in Russia, where it certainly looks as though Firestorm init- intentionally uh, killed a bunch of people in Russia when he detonated himself and incapacitated Superman, and it would certainly seem as though things are going caca cuckoo for our heroes, but lo and behold, Batman, of course, along with some of the other fi- heroes, figure out that maybe there's someone bigger behind all of this. So the heroes decide, in about 19 different little jump ships, to travel to Mars, where this disturbance seems to be coming from. And if this is your first uh, rodeo with the Watchmen folks... You know there's a guy on Mars who's blue and ain't wearing no pants who probably is behind all of this, and he certainly is. So you get an issue where all of the DC heroes decide they're going to try to fight Dr. Manhattan. We're back on Earth. Uh, Lois and Superman find a surprising ally who also knows what's going on with all of this and is here to help. 
for once in his horrible, uh, forsaken life. Mm-hmm. So, I guess there's the brass tacks of this uh, issue. What'd you think of this, Todd? Um, also, there's one other storyline that maybe everything we knew about Firestorm was wrong. Oh, yes. Where, uh, is it Doctor Manhattan who shows it to him, or is it someone else who shows to uh, Ronnie that the Doctor, who is the inspiration for uh, Eugene Grimby from the Wool Council... <laughs> has known on uh what's the dr stein Le- on on uh legends, legends of tomorrow uh, puppets the- of tomorrow oh uh, no <laughs> legends of tomorrow just puppets for that one one episode that he may have intentionally caused the accident to put firestorm together but i don't know i think that might be some uh some trying to manipulate poor Ronnie into doing their whims, you know? The same way Dr. Manhattan may have manipulated the JSA by moving the lantern and everything. Right. Um, so we don't know. But I'm with you on back whenever we talked about this book, maybe last or the, the issue before it, where you said it seemed like it took a while to get up its steam. Yes. If you remember, like, like it was like, oh, at this, this issue, the, the book started. This is where it kind of should have started. And all that stuff should have been crammed in the first couple of pages. I disagree a little bit with the one issue of the origin of the new Rorschach. I really like that. But now I'm with you definitely. Like, we're hitting the steamroller. We could have maybe chopped this down into six issues but they wanted 12 because the original Watchmen was 12. I, I, I get it. But I like everything that's going on here. I think it looks beautiful. I think the story's fun. I love Jeff Johns' version of Guy Gardner. Oh. Him inter- if you oh, want to see inter- Guy Gardner say cusses, mm-hmm. this is the book for and you. And him in- interacting with Dr. Manhattan is, is fantastic. He knocks him out with one punch, Joe. Um, oh, boy. Nobody tell Keith. He hates that. Uh, salty Keith. But um, just all, all that. I, Interesting. What? I said something in comics makes him salty. Interesting. Right. Um, I just feel like, once again, that this was, as we were discussing before the show, because it's been so long since issue eight, I just feel like I don't know what's going on anymore. And even the storytelling, like, helped me along. But it's like, ugh, I just feel like I'm missing something. And not because of the story, just by how late it is. But all in all, it looked beautiful. I enjoyed it. It it was finally cool to see Captain Adam, you know, be with uh, Dr. Manhattan because there's that whole, you know, the, the Charlton characters and everything. I enjoyed the story. I, we still have three more to go. And, you know, it'll be two and a half months or four and a half months before it's all over. So I'm just going to wait until 12, man. And I'm going to give you my, my opinion then. So I'm going to just throw this out there. It kind of to echo a little bit of what Todd was saying, kind of back to what we'd said, how I felt issue eight was the great, it was the best number one. If that was the first issue of this that you read, then you're, you're golden. And yes, there was good stuff with the Rorschach origin, but Rorschach's already off the table. Like he's done with, like, I'm sure he's going to get his last second, uh, return to do whatever it is. You know, we haven't seen Ozymandias in this book. And like, you know, we saw him sitting at the, uh, the computer's last issue or the, the, the TV screens, but, like, he's still just behind the scenes already. Mime and Marionette last showed up in issue six, and they just aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. And they spent so much time building them up, and I thought their origin issue back in issue six, where, while it may have been a little bit hand, ham-fisted, and the dialogue may have been a little bit too on-the-nose and perfect for those kids to be saying those things at those specific times to create whatever it is, and I'm sure we'll probably get information at some point that Dr. Manhattan did all that, and that's great. 
Well, you spend all this time putting over these two brand new characters who just haven't been around in three issues. Right. Now, do you think it hurts because it's been so long between them? Where if we were reading this monthly, that somebody not being around for three issues... Do you know what I'm trying to yes. say? Yes. It, that it would be completely different, but everything makes it seem like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. I think it would be different. I don't think we would mind that they haven't been around in three issues because it would only been three months ago. Where now it's, hey, we haven't seen uh, those two characters in in over in like almost half a year or longer. Right, and the other thing is, I, I teased a little bit up front about the Gary Frank art, and I'm a fan of Gary Frank's art. I love Gary Frank's art, going all the way back to, like, the stuff on Hulk that he did, you know, way oh, back. Oh, so smooth. Right, beautiful, smooth, clean, everything like that. And a lot of the reasons that we were being told that this book was being delayed was because Gary Frank said, quote, I found this to be a more difficult book uh, than I originally thought, or it's tougher to draw, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel as though this nine-panel structure that they're trying to hold steadfast to, uh, to because it has to be just like Watchmen, is not doing Gary Frank's art a disservice. When his art pops, it pops. But there's certain panels in here where it certainly feels as though you're not getting... Like, Gary Frank doesn't have the room to really give these characters what they need to be- to breathe. If that makes sense. Let me see if I can put it away that might help your, your cause. When Dave Gibbons did it, mm-hmm. Dave Gibbons has such a realistic, like, like slim down style that it works in nine panels where Gary Frank should be. You equate it to Hulk splash pages of Hulk throwing like tanks at, at whatever. Like he's a big page artist. Yes. And you, he can't do that because, like you said, it's like, well, here's Lois Lane's, you know, face again. And here's Lois Lane talking to somebody again. It's it's just Gary is – his art is bigger than nine-panel grids. Yes. And, and I get what you're saying. My take on it is I think they had to also go back and uh, make it so – that uh, Dr. Manhattan there's, uh, was standing in certain ways and his back was to the camera more and shaded and stuff. I think he had to fix a lot of that. Uh, I don't so, know. There's like at least two or three panels where he gets his ding dong in there. Good. I was glad that he wasn't he was he wasn't going to swing blue pipe. So. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I do want to mention uh, is there's a scene in this, and I'm not the first person to point this out. You know, we review these books on a week delay. Um, you know, kind of after everyone gets their books. Uh, but that scene, Todd, with the magic users mm-hmm. and the dialogue that John Constantine says. What? I think there may have been an error at the printer because it's just a jumble of letters and stuff. It says, if he ain't sussed the power rings, he's gonna have a hard time we what we've got and i understand that he's that jeff johns is trying to convey that he has an accent but boy howdy we know john constantine has an accent you don't need to do the wheeze and the sussed and the i don't know but wait there's a he's gonna have a certain kind of hard time joe what was it let's tread lightly on i'm treading lightly todd (laughs) right i you know what no okay this is like if somebody from Mary Poppins wrote 
John Constantine. I get what you're saying because even in the you know the 300 issues that he did of Hellblazer, there ain't no if he ain't sus the power rings like that's that's somebody who bought a British slang dictionary and just decided to just you know use as much of it as he could in one word bubble. I agree. Yes. But we're here. We're nine issues in, you know? Mm-hmm. It's going to be what it is. I agree. All right. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern time or so, sometimes a little bit later, uh, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them shipped to your house, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out so that you are prepared to have enough, I don't know, money in your Venmo account to pay for this week's books. <laughs> uh, Todd and I are attempting to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out as we do every year. I am closing in on Todd as he only has one correct guess over me. And I do appreciate when I do we get the tweets or the messages or whatever it is of people attempting to guess what we're both looking forward to as well. Hey, leave a comment if you're getting books. Let us know what you're looking forward to coming out this week. I'm not trying to be desperate, but I just was. Uh, I think the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is Assassination Number One. Um, Assassination Number One isn't even on my list. Well, then you made a mistake of not putting that on your list because we'll get to that shortly. Uh, I will then say the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Gunning for Hits Number Three. It is not. Okay. But I will say I know what Assassination Nation is. Assassination. Assassination. Oh, okay. I'm reading it wrong. Um, it is the new Kyle Starks book, right? That's true. I'm going to try that book. And I am going to say now that I know it is that, I'm going to give you the point. You're going to watch that. What? You're going to, you're going to do what now? Give you the point because that's I'm getting that book and I'll, out of all these, mm-hmm. that would have been the book that I'm looking forward to the most. Do you, I, do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm going to update the post just for my own for, yes. mental whatevers. No problem. But just so you know, it wasn't gunning for hits. It was Wonder Twins number two. Gotcha. Up, up to this point, but a new number one by Kyle Stark will get me to, uh, uh, you know. Switch, switch it out. It's, does does that seem fair? Is does does the rules bend? Yeah, yeah. Okay. As long as they bend in my favor, I got you. Um, Joe, can I guess your book? Yes. Um, let's see. It might be as Guardians of the Galaxy Seven, but then Auntie Agatha's Home for Wayward Rabbits. Wonder Twins too. You did like the first issue. Is it Assassination Number One, Joe? It, it is. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to, I had to do my bit. Leave, yes. leave, leave me go. Uh, if we had a little bit more time of the week, this could have been our preview review book. But if you listen to uh, After Dark this week, you'll see how our time got divided up amongst people being sick and getting new phones. You can figure mm-hmm. out who had what when you listen to the show this Friday. Right. Uh, so from here, uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything that we have going on over there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, 
or the smash hit sensation Todd and Joe have issues from 2017. You can also check out our store page, where you could purchase directly from us uh, shirts, stickers, or pins with our fancy logo on them. If you want a little bit more variety in your long box hero's arm of merchandise, whether it be stuff for this show or uh, stuff from At Odds With Wrestling, go down to the bottom of the page. There's a way that you could uh, support us a little bit more there as well. And, uh, you know, you do that at your own leisure. That's on you, pal. Uh, But another more direct way, a more helpful way that helps you and us is our Amazon banner across the top of the page. Does not cost you anything extra. Gives us a little bit of a kickback on the back end. They call it an advertising fee. I call it something that makes Todd happy the end of the month when I get to pay pal him his cut of the money. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week was, it was a heavy comic book week this week, Todd. Was it? It certainly was. People purchased uh, Volume 2 hardcover of Stray Bullets, Justice League, The Dark, ne- the dark Side War Saga Omnibus, uh, Conan Volume 2. Uh, then, going over onto the media side of things, somebody purchased the Blu-ray of Into the Spider-Verse. Someone also purchased the DVD of the first volume of the X-Men animated series. People even went anime crazy, Todd. Now, I don't know what any of these things are, but please tell me. Somebody purchased Star Blazers 2199, Space Battleship Yamato. Uh, Somebody also purchased My Hero Academia, Two Heroes. And someone also purchased A Silent Voice on DVD and... A silent voice on Blu-ray digital combo. Ooh. And somebody also purchased, I know this was you, Todd, because this sounds right up your alley. (laughs) Uh, Someone purchased the book, The Answer is Energy, a 30-day guide to creating your ideal life, embracing true abundance, and knowing your worth from within. I know my worth. Mm -hmm. It's about tree fit. I was going to say black stuff and a bunch of Slim Jims. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you everyone who purchased anything through the uh, Amazon click through this past week uh, or ever in your history. I'm not going to try to guess uh, who purchased what, but I'll just thank all of you uh, directly here. And then if you send me a message that you purchased X, Y, or Z, I will thank you privately as well. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did and we didn't. Oh, no. We had an art attack that was retweeted to me by Jesse De, uh, DeYoung from February 16th of this year. <laughs> but for some reason, and I could show you my Twitter account, it never, even with him adding me or whatever you call it, putting my, my handle in the tweet, it never showed up in my mentions. And then he, because it's, you know how he'll be drawing stuff and it'll be like, he, last week he did... Uh, thing one and thing two with Ben Grimm, the thing. Well, it's because he got a book called 642 Things to Draw, and that was his first tweet about all this. And then each page has a blank page with a uh, a word for or, or something for you to draw. So, like, the first tweet that he tweeted out was a bulldog, and he ended up doing lockjaw from the Inhumans. And then a party, and it was thing one and thing two with Ben Grimm. And I kept going, I have no idea why we're get, why he's drawing what he's drawing. And he eventually reset me a, a retweet of that 
a retweet quote of that tweet. And I was like, okay, this all makes sense now. So I could talk about it on the show. So when I went to check it in my tweet, in my mentions today, his quote tweet doesn't have that tweet anymore. So I had to go in and find that tweet and retweet it now. I don't know. I think Skynet's acting up, but I really like the idea of this 642 things to draw. And if he ever sends another one, I will know what he's talking about and won't look like a moron. I will be a moron, but I won't look like a moron. Right. That's all we can ask for, really. That is true. So thank you again. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Uh, as we always say on here, whether you went somewhere and got something commissioned, uh, whether you went and did it yourself or whatever, tweet at us and we'll share it with the world if uh, Todd actually sees it, you know. Right. I have proof it didn't show up. I'll show you next time <laughs> I, I see it. I believe you, Todd. Stop your lies. Okay, good. I was getting worn out on my lies. Right. So, I think that's everything except for TV and movie talk, which, you know, of course, will be spoiler-filled because we're going to get into discussion of this past week's episode of The Flash, which was King Shark vs. Gorilla Grodd, and, of course, uh, the number one movie in the country, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want those things spoiled for you, you don't care. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all here next week. And uh we'll give you a couple seconds here and we'll start with our flash talk. So flash. So uh I will start off by saying the best part of this episode of the Flash was Joe is back and walking around. Yes, he's standing up and walking around and doing things. Yes, not unlike the great Rory Calhoun before him, but <laughs> we discussed several weeks ago that the actor Jesse Martin, who plays Joe, uh, was suffer he had suffered a very severe back injury, and they were, you know, doing many of his things for the show of him laying down or in a stairway or in a doorway holding on to something, but in this he was actually like, and then he was off for four issue, issues, episodes, but now he's back back and he's doing stuff. So that's good to see him up and about and doing stuff. Right. It was actually cool. Like you said, cool to see him back. I totally agree. Uh, yet another thing though. However, since we have one extra member of uh, team flash added in, I don't think Ralph was in this episode. Was he? Right, I don't think we can get them all in one episode. I, th- right. I think there's union rules or something. Right, there's something going on with the budget here, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the continuation of them, the uh, Star Labs crew working on their metahuman cure. And, oh, we also didn't have any of, uh, what's-his-face, the the doofus from American Pie. Uh, a cicada. We got a bunch of them in flashbacks, but that's your B story, which we'll get to later. Um of course, they want to use this to stop Cicada, because uh, he's so, so powerful. But how could we test this out? I know. Let's find someone who's got a huge amount of dark matter energy in him and tr- ask him if it's okay if we could try it on him. Oh, wait. It's too bad he's a shark, and we can't talk to him because it's King Shark. Oh, wait. Luckily, there's this scientist lady who is from a different Earth who fell in love with this King Shark and is working in a way that we could talk to him in a very lady-in-the-water takeoff about a year and a half too late. Uh, but, of course, then that runs afoul anytime that you're trying to mess around with people's mind. That's like sending up the gorilla signal to Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> so now we get that battle going on. And then in our B story, uh, Iris is scared to go to her house because Cicada got her there. And then Joe says, you need to be strong. And then kind of gives her like a... Mickey Rocky sort of pep talk and then 
spoilers, everyone, she's brave enough to go to her house. I thought it was her office. Uh, I Something like that. Office right. or the house or whatever. Okay. Uh, so I don't know what you think of the uh, episode. Did you enjoy yourself? Um, I, I, I was shocked that in this episode that somebody used the metahuman cure without asking the people because that was the thing that they had that both uh, Vibe and Killer Frost had and Caitlin had worried about the most because this was to be a choice. And then Flash just did it. I was like shocked because I never saw that coming or I saw it all the way coming and i was like okay we're gonna pull we're gonna pull this card but the all that aside i had fun with this with this episode because king shark fought gorilla grod that's gonna be cool everything but i was very mad and i think gail simone should should write a very stern letter to the cw the fact that i did not see king shark running anywhere saying i'm a shark i'm a shark i'm a shark made me very (laughs) sad you remember, like when he used to do that in uh, in uh, Secret Six, yes. right? Yes. Uh, that was my. I was like, just give me one, because they were like he was reverting and his brain was going back and forth to how much he knew. And I was just, I just wanted to see him doing one of those quick jogs, just going, I'm a shark, I'm a shark, I'm a shark, and I would, I would have sharked out. You know what I mean? So, Sharkomaniacs, brother. Yes, you know, I want my shark photo with him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but uh yeah otherwise it was it was a fun episode you know anytime you get to see gorillas and sharks you know throw down right now todd of course we did have gorillas and sharks throw down but i have to discuss the dodgy special effects wait what oh <laughs> uh, maybe one extra member of team flash could have skipped this episode so they could have put an extra 20 bucks in the special effects budget I don't know what you're talking about. But there's specific... So, the the proportions of the two are wildly all over the place the entire episode. That's because he was... The meta, the black matter was wearing off and... Right, right. You know, it was... Because he had the cure and it, was, it wasn't stabilized. There you go. Do I get my no prize now? You get the no-no prize. Mm-hmm. So, there, but there's one... There was one shot in particular of Gorilla Grodd, like he was leaving, like he showed up at, was he at Star Labs? Yeah, he was at Star Labs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when he kind of got the mind uh, juju going on Caitlin and Cisco for a little bit, but then they did the scan on them after the commercial break and that they were okay. Before the commercial break, Grodd is standing there and then he bolts out the window, right? Mm-hmm. And his proportions get so screwy in that scene. It's like he shrinks down to fit through the window because in the scene, like, and it's not like he ducks down. It's like the, the image of him shrinks to fit out the window. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, guys, come on. You're killing me here. And I just think they should have CGI'd a bad wig on him. I agree. Like, that was his disguise. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Gorilla Garad, you know, like whatever. And he just comes in with like, like a FedEx jacket on and a terrible wig. And he just like signed for this. And that's how he steals the brain thing. And I, I wouldn't have cared how big or how small he got. Yeah. I don't know though, man. It's just, it was a good, like I said, I was, it was a good episode. It was good to see the flashback. It was good to see, uh, Jesse Martin, the actor who plays Joe on walking around. I'm glad he's healthy. 
But it's when episodes like this, man, when you have CGI characters fighting other CGI characters, it just shines a light on, like, the sub-sci-fi network, you know, budgets that these shows must have. I don't know, you know, it just it makes me a little, little sad inside, but I'm happy that these shows exist for me to watch on a weekly basis. They probably stole funds from Legends of Tomorrow to, like, get the CGI up to that level, too, probably. They're probably running some sort of secret underground wig museum <laughs> to make all that extra money, I guess. I that, know. and they're also, they're also taking, like, at that wig museum is all of the Adam's costume but the gauntlet. Like, he he wears the gauntlet in the show so he could, like, shoot beams and stuff. But they're like, that's because we're going to send the rest of the Atom armor around with the wig with the wig collection. So that's what I think they do. Oh, boy. I don't know. But Flash is good. I like the Flash. Just, you know, sometimes yeah. the special effects are suspect. But one thing where the special effects were not suspect, which does happen from time to time, see the... Uh, giant armored-up rhinoceroses is from Black Panther, Captain Marvel came out this past week. Whisk your way back to 1995, Todd, and learn the origin of Nick Fury's eye patch and mm -hmm. some other stuff. Oh, there is a dodgy special effects thing that I need to talk about in this. Ugh! All right, sorry. There was none. Stop there it. There was one. So... Uh, I tell the tale of my harrowing adventures to attempt to see this movie this past week, uh, but I will say I'm glad I did. This was a very light, a very straightforward film, and I'm not saying this to be, you know, sexist, that's for other shows and other people, but the message of this movie essentially is, believe in yourself and you can do anything. Yeah, Espe yeah. Especially if you're a girl. Right, I, I, And I got no problem with that. All right, I really, really, really liked Captain Marvel. Yeah, it and, was good. And, and here's why. All right. Because I'm a huge... Okay, from here on out, I'm going to call Captain Marvel, the one that appeared in the, in the 60s and died from cancer, like that one, like comic OG Captain Marvel. Right. Right. Green, I'm a big comic OG. What? Green Captain Marvel? Right, and then he ended up having the red suit with the cosmic sure. bands, blah, blah, blah. I'm a huge fan of him, and I knew his origin, and I knew his whole career, and they dabble some of that in, and right. I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but they dabble some of that in. But for the most part, because I've never read a Captain Marvel, uh, a Carol Danvers Captain Marvel comic, of her own book, I've only read her in other stories, I have no idea what her deal is. Nothing. Other than she was Miss Marvel and binary and, like, okay. a little bit of that. So, but be be so, before we go any further on that, I want to just say, her origin is, like, hawk people level screwy. Of you know, who she is, and her mind gets sucked in when Rogue touched her, but then maybe it didn't, and then maybe she's an alien, and then maybe she gave birth to her own husband, and oh. there was all this wacky stuff that was going on with her from the late 70s up until the early 90s. And over the last five years, it's like Marvel had a plan, they have been trying to fix all that. Clean it up. And they have kind of streamlined her origin to more or less, 
you know, plus or minus a few things of what we saw in the movie today. Right. So, because I don't know any of that origin... Yeah. It was... All this was fresh to me. It was... It was... I didn't know. So, like, you know, like, when you're watching Captain America, you're like... Oh, well, it's the, you know, it's the super soldier serum and the Vita rays. And it's this, or it's that, like, all the staples you have to hit to do the origin story of Iron Man, or this was all fresh to me. And even when they did hit all the OG comic Captain Marvel stuff, they played the characters so close to the vest and didn't give you their names until halfway through the movie. That as an old, like, like literally, uh, OG's comic Captain Marvel was on Earth as a scientist named Dr. Larson, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it, when we don't get Annette, Be- is it Annette Benning? Was it the is. Actress? When we don't, like, we don't find out her name's Dr. Larson till halfway through the movie. So I'm like, oh, so she's, like, and, and the, and the Jude Law character I thought might have been somebody else. It turns out to be, the villain from the OG Captain Marvel comics. And I'm like, but until about halfway through, I didn't know who was who. So it kept me entertained and, and, and surprised if that makes any sense. So I, like I said, that was why I really liked this movie, but, and for other reasons too, it felt like a nineties buddy flick also, uh, with, with Captain, with, with, with Carol and, and Nick and, and just to say, if I only had one problem with the movie, it was that Coulson got short shrifted. I think there should have been way more Coulson than there was in the movie. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, more than liked it. I loved Captain Marvel. I had fun. I had a blast. It was fresh. There was nothing about this movie I didn't like. Okay. I'm with you. Nothing I didn't like about this. I would say, and it's so tough right now because there's so many Marvel movies to do like your power rankings of where this fits in. Mm-hmm. But I would say that in tone, that this was probably closest to Ant-Man. Because if you were a comic book person, you probably more so know Hank Pym Ant-Man than you know Scott Lang Ant-Man. You might have okay. a passing knowledge of Scott Lang Ant-Man, but you're going to, when you as a comic book person, I say you, I mean Todd, myself, folks like that, listeners of the show probably, you probably know more Hank Pym than Scott Lang. Okay, I just want to add one question because you kind of lost me. Now, you mean in tone to Batman, or Batman, and in how the origin is skewed as to tone of the humor in the flick? No, as, as how the story is told. Less the, less the humor, but like, okay. here's a character that you know, Captain Marvel. I, you probably know that blonde guy that died of cancer. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a little bit of that stuff. But here's the new Captain Marvel that we're going to be using in our universe going forward. We're going to stay as truthful of the comic book as we possibly can. And hey, you probably don't know a lot of the stuff in this comic book. Great. Come along for the ride. Learn with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was some humor stuff in here. Now, the other thing I want to mention, you, you bring up Jude Law. Okay, you bring up Annette Benning, Um, And we're going to say Ben Mendelsohn as uh, Talos, right? Right. So... Um, when a movie like this is coming out that I want to see, I block myself out from everything. I don't want to know nothing. I'm going to see Captain Marvel. I don't need to know nothing about it. Just about a week ago, I found out that Jude Law was even in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, didn't know what part he was playing, I just knew he was in the movie. Uh, I knew Talos was going to be in the movie, because he's going to be a playable character in my Marvel Puzzle Quest game. And then he's you a- knew- and I, he's a scroll, and he's categorized in the game as a villain. So I'm like, oh, he's the villain of the movie. It's the scrolls, right? Mm-hmm. So when they do the twist, 
Yep. That the scrolls are actually the baby faces and the Kree are the heel. I was like taken aback. I was like, oh my, this is delightful. I, I was too. I was too because I was like, usually we see the it's secret invasion. The scrolls are villainous. The few times that we did see the scrolls in comics as good guys was when Super Scroll was during like the Annihilation stuff. Yep. And he was the hero. But usually the scroll. But people tend to forget that early on, like with the OG comic Captain Marvel, the Kree were jerks, man. Yes. Like the like they had set, they had these robots that were called the Sentry, not to be confused with the comic character that became the Sentry later, um, that would just lay waste the whole planets and stuff like that. And that's actually, I believe, how Ms. Marvel or Carol got her powers the first time is one of those Sentry's robots exploded, giving her her powers. So hence, like the ship explosion, it works. Um, but it's just like when they flipped that on its head, like when it was over, like I was talking with Matt and like, you know, other people that, that were with us in the movie. I was like, man, I never saw the scroll thing coming. Yeah. And I liked it because, you know, it, they, they were sympathetic and I'm fine. It's Marvel cinematic universe scrolls. I, whatever. We're good. All right. So I'm, I'm sure there's you. bad scrolls out there and this was <laughs> from 1995. So maybe something happened to turn them heel as well. Right. But this is stuff that was out there that was spoiled in interviews like two weeks ago, which I completely, I missed all of it. Right. And I'm glad that you did. And I hope you going to see this movie did as well. Now, some of the other stuff that trickled in was I saw people lamenting that this movie was essentially nineties, the movie. That they just beat you over the head with 90s reference after 90s reference after 90s reference. Right. And they don't, but they don't, you know, outside of, I don't know, I can't think of any one thing very directly, unless there was the part where Monica Rambeau said to her mom, let's catch this first run episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on NBC. Right. You know, the, I, the music, the hairstyle, um, you know, the, the clothing, what they say for TV, the types of computers they use. It's not like they're beating you over the head with it, like going, oh, 90s. Am I right? Right. The only two that I see are you're right was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air right. that I can remember and uh, literally the blockbuster stuff. Yeah. Like, like, and, and I mean, like, that's. That, that's like, you know, doing a period piece in the Spanish Inquisition showing up. It, it's just, and no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, but it, it's just, that's the, what was there at the time. And that's something that doesn't exist anymore. So I, I completely get it. I don't feel like they beat, I think it was just natural, a natural 90s, the cars, the look, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's where the movie is set. Yes. So you have to expect that stuff. So, um, Really liked the movie, like I said. I enjoyed the twist, of course. I thought the fight scenes were good. I thought the space scenes were good. Um, you know, Annette Benning being the supreme intelligence was really cool, I thought. Oh, okay, I want to talk about that for Go one ahead. second. I, I understand that there are changes to be made, but I really did want to see the big supreme intelligence oh, in yeah. the jar. I was like, that is one of the coolest Jack Kirby-inspired like looks. And when they were like oh, okay, like, everybody sees whatever different. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, we could do that. But then when she got sucked in, like, again, and they were trying to steal, like, whatever her powers were, I was like, oh, this is, like, it's not going to be a net bending this time. It's going to be big green blobby face in a jar. And I'm like, no, I'm like, 
I, I like legitimately for a great movie. I was legitimately sad that I didn't get to see that image. Um, but I, like that's just such a small part. I'm not gonna to nitpick, but I would have loved to seen a big screen version of the Supreme Intelligence. Right, but like again, really good movie. I recommend it. If you enjoyed Ant Man or any of the other like second tier character origin story movies, you'll enjoy this. My only two nitpicks that I have, Todd. And of course, what is a movie review without me nitpicking stupid things that only I care about? Mm-hmm. So they kind. Oh, so I want to start it off by saying. I loved that we finally got a Marvel movie that gave Samuel Jackson a chance to kind of do a bunch of other stuff other than just be stoic Nick Fury. He's he's uncooked Nick Fury. Yes. He ha- like he's he's fresh out of or no, he's fresh out of the oven. He's having fun, he's doing things, he's singing songs. Uh it's it's good to see that uh Sam Jackson still has that range and can still do lots of other things. Uh, but I guess they do like a CGI sort of technique to kind of de-age him a little bit for this. And they did it with Coulson, too. Okay. And... Nick Fury looks real good de-aged. Yep. Except when he's running. Coulson, there's one. There's that one scene where they're in the stairway. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Talos Skrull is, impo- is posing as the head of this division of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're trying to get uh, after... Nick Fury and Carol, and they run into Coulson in the stairwell, right? Mm-hmm. And Coulson kind of lets him go. That scene right there, the CGI on Coulson, he looks like Conan O'Brien. He doesn't even <laughs> look, like, he looks like the caricature that they do of Conan O'Brien's logo. It's right. so bad. See, I didn't notice that. Oh, but in that scene, I did like that scene because that's the scene that endears Coulson to, you know what I mean? Right, of course. Right. right. And they, they, also, they acknowledge it. He's the new guy. He hasn't gotten a chance to hate me yet. Right. And just something on that way where you're talking about this, that uh, Talos has infiltrated the thing as the head of whatever that is. I do like when he's talking and they're like doing the autopsy with the scroll and they're like, now we have to worry about S.H.I.E.L.D. being infiltrated by these shape-shifting aliens. And I'm like, while, if you know the timeline, Hydra is infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. everywhere. Yes. Like, when you really think about it, they're worried about the scrolls, and you're like, no, no, you might want to look out for Robert Redford right now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, And then the other thing is, and again, this is a very, very specific nitpick to me. Uh, So there's the scene at the end where Jude Law Cree calls in the accusers, right? Mm -hmm. And the accusers send all their warheads, and Carol kind of five-star versions herself up with the fancy mohawk, and she looks awesome. And, the spe- and like, the, the special effects on it don't look garbage. It looks really cool. And she takes all the missiles, and she throws the one missile to blow up all the other missiles. And then she goes up into space, and she's fighting all of the little talent, like, they're all little talent crafts or whatever it is. And then she kind of just gives them a look, and they kind of retreat, right? Mm-hmm. So in that scene where there's the two accusers there, they look real flimsy. Like, when Ronan the Accuser shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's a big jacked-up dude, right? Right, but that's later. He's, okay, he's, he's that's later. He was, he was clanging and banging. Right, I understand that he maybe gets some, uh, he maybe eats some extra food before he goes to the gym <laughs> between then and now. But if you've ever seen the later uh, season episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where it's Pearl, Bobo, and Brain Guy, 
the two accusers there look just like Brain Guy uh, mm-hmm. from, <laughs> from those uh, episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Even though they're white with the purple robes, these guys were blue with, like, green robes. Uh, it made me take them very less serious as a threat because they looked like uh, uh, whoever that was from Mystery Science Theater dressed up as a guy in white face. Now, is that your nitpicks? Those are my two nitpicks. Right. And I just want to touch on two more scenes, and then I think – I don't know if you have any more. Um, one is, like, I liked Carol all through this movie. I loved the character. I liked her attitude. Also, I would say when it was – when the movie was over and we were waiting for the end credits – I literally said, I looked at Matt and, and Tom and I said to them, I said, wow, like Marvel really did a great Hal Jordan movie. Wow. There you go. Right. You ain't wrong. Right. Like that is what DC should have done with the great ride, the old double R back Ooh. in the day. Like that to me, that's, you know, like pilot brash, like does, I'm like, okay, so they, they've, they've done, they've done their thing, but. So I love her all through the movie, but you know, like how, how there's like certain moments in movies where you're like, it, it, the, the character just gets over. Like, this is it. This is my moment. I will love this character till the end of time because of this. It's when all through the movie, she's been having like the visions because of the machine of her whole life. And it's all like, like the, the, the go-kart flipping and her get like the, being brushed back by the pitch and like she's been beaten down and they cut and she can remember now and it's the go-kart flips and she gets up she's ready to go again the pitch knocks her down she gets up and it's in that scene they did a beautiful uh job in a like a collage of just every time i get knocked down I'm going to get back up and I'm going to I'm going to do something about it and to me that's the reason I love Ben Grimm is because no matter what, he's going to take that beating and he's going to come back. And they did that beautifully with Brie Larson in, in, in these flashbacks. And when she realizes, she's like, yeah, I'm better than all this. And I'm like, it's not cheesy. It's not drippy. It's not anything. It's, it's great for me because I just love that in a hero. And I'm like, that's what a hero is. They just keep getting up. And I'm like, I'm, I like, I'm like applaud. I'm like, you did a great job there. If I'm conveying what I'm trying to yes, say. Yes, absolutely. Right. And then the last thing I want to ask is, and we could talk, touch on the end credits too, is did you enjoy the Stan Lee cameo? Oh my goodness. It was, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of people in the uh, theater when I went to go see it, but it certainly was, there was a lot of dust in there when the, that did pop up. <laughs> and when he's holding the mall rat script. Now, that, now, again, I don't want to nitpick too, too much on that, but are we to, I, listen, Todd, I can believe that there are warring factions from other galaxies that are shapeshifters, I believe that there's a Tesseract and all of the Infinity Gems, I believe all of that, but if you expect me to sit here and believe that the film Mallrats had an actual script, I defy <laughs> you, sir, I say the nay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but that was cute. That was cute. So then we have the two post-credit scenes, which is the beeper works and uh, Captain Marvel shows up to to Black Widow, Captain America. Was there somebody else Hulk. there? Uh, Ruffalo. Yeah. Uh, um. So that was cool. It was nice to see them. Oh all no! There. And uh, Falcon was there. Oh, Falcon. You're right. No. She- no. Fa- uh, the, the the war machine. Uh, the 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 Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Yes. Right. So. 
we get to see that. That was kind of cool. Now, they said, they actually said that the Russo brothers directed that. So I'm wondering if, remember when we got the, the preview to, uh, Civil War at the end of a movie and it was actually just a scene from the middle of, of, uh, the, the third Captain American movie. They're like, here's our stinger at the end. And I was like, when I watched the movie, I'm like, no, wait, this is just the scene where, uh, Bucky has his arm caught in the press and they've captured him. So I'm wondering if the, the middle credit is actually just a scene from Avengers, if you know what I mean. Uh, it could be. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I, I want to see that there. And then we got to see, I, uh, I joke and I'm mad I did it because I, I have to stop myself from just randomly calling my shot and saying things is I knew what the second we were sitting around and like, what could the second tra- thing? To, and I looked at Matt and I was like, I, I'm going to go with the, uh, with goose coughing up the Tesseract. And I was right. So I was like, I was like, I should just keep my mouth shut. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it, all in all, it was a fun movie. Uh, I, 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 I ended up seeing it again by myself just for time constraints, but I, as long as everyone in my house is healthy, I would absolutely go see it again. Mm-hmm. And is Ace interested? Is this the one that you said you didn't want to go to and then now he does? Well, I, it's one of those deals where I think because it's a girl-led superhero and he's a seven-year-old boy. And they have I, cooties? Right. I think he thinks it's a girl movie. Mm-hmm. And I was really trying to, like, sell on it, you know, with the special effects and everything else like that and the, the story and stuff. And that's the thing. He'll enjoy it if he goes and sees it. It's just, you know, he's a seven-year-old boy who thinks he knows what he wants. That's right. He, this is the kid that wanted to see the Emoji movie. Right. Right. So. He's got, for the most part, he's got poor uh, taste in things. Right. He's got blinders on. Yes. So, so I think that covers everything, right? Yeah, I think it does. All right. Everyone, thank you very much for bearing with us. A little bit of extra long. Uh, you know, these things do tend to go long when we have the movies to talk about. And again, you, what do we have? Uh, Shazam, I guess, is maybe the next one. Yes. Yeah, so are you going to see Shazam? Yeah, probably go see Shazam. And then we got uh, Endgame, Spider-Man, and what else this summer? I don't know. I'd have to look. I know probably you're not. I'm a Godzilla man, so... Yeah, you know, Godzilla is what, you know, Godzilla is what it'll be, you know. Yeah, I saw, I saw have... the, the, the other one. It was all right. But this is going to have, like, actual real, like, this is going to have non-generic monsters. Oh. <laughs> like, Godzilla fighting. You know what? When I saw those guys shows up, showed up that Godzilla was going to fight, I'm going to put it into terms you can understand. It's like Macho Man, you know, before he comes in the ring, his opponent's waiting on the in the ring, leaning on the ropes. You just know it's like this is gonna be quick. Uh, that's what it is. It's, if it's not Ghidorah or Mothra or any other big names, it's like some monsters we've never seen before. Like I don't care. I just want to see him fight Ghidorah. I was so, say, it's it's all your favorite Godzilla villains with the serial numbers filed off. Yes, it's literally all the toys, the knockoff toys from other countries, and they finally decided to make some money back on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I will probably see Godzilla. I'd have to look over the the list and see what else there is, but um, I don't know. That's all I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
Yeah, we got at least three more over the next couple months. So we'll, 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 they'll end up being a little bit longer shows. But again, thanks everyone for bearing with. Of course, thanks for, uh, hanging in here with episode 441 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see y'all here next week. Boop!